incoming transmission from pod fleet command on screen welcome to the seventh episode of trek geeks picard live my name is barry deford and i will be your inner light of remembrance while we look back at the episode that was titled star trek picard nepenthe if the internet drops we have the ebh to help me out thanks to my lovely and talented ebh dan garcia from trek geeks game night this broadcast is streaming live on youtube facebook and now also on trekgeeks.com picard live is a pr is proud to have fansets as our presenting sponsor We'll have some more information about them later, including a special discount code just for viewers and listeners to this broadcast. And, you know, I was thinking the other day when Picard Live became a thing, I think it stems from back a really, really long time ago when Bill asked, uh, or when actually a number of campers asked if Bill and Dan would ever do a video of uh, the Trek Geeks podcast. I think I'm part of a very elaborate, no, you do it sort of scheme coming from both gentlemen. And I guess we can, we can make decisions as to whether that's real or not. Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to throw up that spoiler alert banner right, I'd say, about now. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Because this broadcast will be talking about specific character developments, plot points, twists, you name it, in episode seven of Star Trek Picard. So if you have not seen Nepenthe, please stop what you have, uh, whatever you're up to at this point, and go and check that episode out, or you will have it ruined for you. I mean, I guess I'm not really here to tell you what to do, but this is how it goes. So as we usually do, we typically go through a couple of specifics, and the first one is, of course, the Picard Maneuver. This is where we reorient ourselves to meet the man we haven't seen in a very, very long time. So our first segment, let's straighten things out with what I like to call the Picard Maneuver. All right. This one, I think we can just start with Gerardi is given a mind melt. And I'm not going to say a mind meld because, well, I feel like her mind kind of came out of her mouth there at the end. Uh, Gerardi does a lot of puking in this uh, this this episode. Like, she pukes more than Geordi pukes in the entirety of Star Trek The Next Generation. So figure that out. So, and I do say um, it's kind of an unreliable mind meld in the sense that I'm not necessarily sure what commander or um, well, not commander, of course, the, she is a, not a commandant, but she's something somewhere in the top and I've completely forgotten. Maybe someone will tech, will put it on the text really, really quick. Commodore. There we go. Commodore O is um, doing some pretty awful stuff. Mind you, we do have to remember that it was a mind meld in Star Trek 2009 that got Kirk all sorted out. So who knows? It's hard to think that O doesn't know about Gerardi and her connection to the synths. However, I'm thinking she's, I mean, she almost did say daughter, I think. In this whole vision, though, I did very slowly scrub my way through the entire thing. And I'm sure you've done it. And I'm sure maybe other people have as well. But here's what I saw. A bunch of people standing around a rock circle, dressed like Romulans, in my estimate. Something is exploding in the middle. Then there's a shot of Earth being destroyed by massive explosions. Um, by my estimation of geography, considering I do teach social studies, uh, it's off the U.S. seaboard is the biggest one. There's also a boom going off in Greenland-ish, and ironically, it looks quite a lot like the Yucatan Peninsula is the southernmost uh, impact zone. And of course, if you know your geological history, 65 million years ago during the KT extinction, a comet about the size of New York City slammed right into that part of the world ending a 120 million year streak that the uh, that the dinosaurs had going. So that's important. Anyways, this is all happening. Things are blowing up. It looks terrible. We see cities blowing up as well. Even though when you look at it really close, they almost look like Lego. I was kind of almost expecting to see um, like Gerardi grab like a chain link fence and have like all her skin burnt off like Sarah Connor in Terminator 2. But I, I feel like it kind of had the same effect. So we then see what looks to be a Romulan uh, freaking out uh, and then a Romulan shooting herself in the head. Um, kind of looks like the Romulan freaking out was Commodore O, but maybe I'm wrong. And then more cities being destroyed and the first puke of the episode and that sushi folks coming right up. Uh, and yeah, kind of gross. Then she ends up taking a tracker pill. I assume that means that it's, you know, kind of like each little segment is... Uh, 
is traceable. I'm sure some of our parents would have liked to have those uh, installed into the Flintstones vitamins I think we all ate when we were kids so they could track us when we get away during the family picnic and uh, manage to get into the uh, the fruit salad. I mean, it was the perfect crime on my end, uh, but I'm guessing my mom would have rathered me to have a, uh, a tracker pill. That kind of got personal. Anyways, moving on. Lacerna is struck by a Borg tractor beam. Meanwhile, um, the Romulan sister Rizzo is kind of going full death squad on the treatment of the XBs. It's well acted and it's extremely hard to watch. I also find it interesting that at first Hugh is protected by this asinine treaty until he says some magic words, apparently. Then we get into some cat and mouse, snake versus mermaid, for all that you don't know. If I might have a bit of understanding of Spanish, La Serna uh, does mean mermaid, and I could be wrong. But uh, Nurek uh, whips off in his snake head. It's a cool name for a ship or a boat or any bar within 40 miles of Shashankovaro's house. Um, and they just sort of spend their time trying to uh, outsmart each other for, for most of their arc in this whole story. Elnor is kind of the Kevin of the group where uh, they're on a starship to uh, Nerepente and Elnor is home on the artifact alone. Uh, He's also crazy and brave and innocent. And I find that there's a nice connection between him and Hugh in that sense. And thank goodness. I mean, I'm really, really not happy that they've killed Hugh. I hope he comes back. I'm going to hold out all hope, but uh, one way or another, didn't really set with me. Uh, complaints there will abound, but in later on. So Lacerna and the Snakehead go to warp, and now we have the credit roll. Yes, folks, that was 10 minutes of a teaser before we get our whole uh, credit opening. Going on, we get the Bunny Corn of Nepenthe, which is a goofy TOS callback, I guess, that to me just really didn't hit well. Um, they kind of look like bunnies with 0.75 millimeter drill bits um, glued to their heads. Uh, the idea that the Federation is back to eating meat, I guess, says a lot about kind of how much they've backslided. Because, of course, in season two, Riker himself says, yeah, we don't do that anymore. If you want meat, you can get it replicated from a not a real animal. So I don't know how I feel about that, especially considering also the fact that uh, Kestra is herself she says she's a pacifist. Well, I guess not to bunnies. So that kind of sucked, but I will leave that to others to talk about more so later. Then we get Captain Crandall and his hard truths. You're an android, Soji. Captain Crandall, I think, over at Infinity Lake, I feel has some kind of significance. Can't quite pinpoint it. Maybe it has to do a bit with the fact that, you know, our kids are talking to role models. They're interacting with people online. And um, how much do you, the parents really know about those sorts of things? Perhaps others in other um, reviews have already said something. I don't really watch those until we finished here because I much prefer getting your fine folks' takes first. So the other pieces is where she does say, I could shoot you, I won't, all that sort of stuff. It is kind of lovely in the fact that, um, that uh, Kestra is being... You know, she's really trying to just give exactly who she is to these two individuals who I would say arguably, you know, maybe she's met Picard once or twice, but, you know, she's she's definitely really wearing her heart on her sleeve. Soji finds out that Dodge is dead, but she's pretty much had enough at this point. And, you know, she really just sort of checks out. And I actually think that that's kind of natural for someone to do if if they've just been hit by trauma after trauma after trauma. They just kind of close the door so for her to say that makes sense and Deanna of course brings that up even better later the Rikers get their own Picard maneuver and they sort of play the part of a wise sage or at least in Riker's case Basil um, it's a very heartfelt reunion though it was beautiful to see uh, Troy and Picard especially I feel like um, Stuart and Sirtis just know how to think like each other they've always really bounced well off of each other I love it uh, and then what can I say about uh, Mr. Frakes and Mr. Stewart they're truly friends and you can feel that on and off the camera it's just it's just so very obvious I also like that Troy clocks Soji right off the bat looks at her and goes oh you're not real in her head like you can tell that uh, I do also like that Picard is liver literally covered in their care right in this case Riker starts just patting him on the back and getting flour or parmesan or whatever it is all over him and then you start seeing these amazing, um, or not amazing, but it's you know interesting, cool sound effects of different force fields coming up and all that sort of stuff. So that was really important. We also look at uh, the idea of tomatoes and reality, tomatoes in the garden especially. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on, so I'm going to leave that there. But that scene, I think, was sort of the thesis of the entire episode in a lot of ways. 
we learn about Thad and uh, not our dear friend Thad coming back from the Star Trek cruise. Uh, more on that later as well. But uh, I love how when Riker sees Picard, he goes, oh, man, <laughs> like it, it's very, um, I don't know, very sort of middle America. I, I, I appreciate what Frakes was trying to do there. And they really read uh, Picard really well. Um, in their exchanges, we find out about Thaddeus Riker, his death uh, from not getting synth uh, materials through a positronic system for his illness. And then we learn a bit about the features of Nepenthe, that they were helping to um, revitalize him. A lot of cooking metaphors. Of course, those have come up with baking and making things. Uh, and Gerardi uh, back on the ship, when we uh, look at that, she just continues to throw up. Hugh gets killed, and nope, I am not happy with that. However, his innocence is preserved, and the same goes for Elnor. Uh, there's sort of a viol the violation of the treaty whole thing. I, I just can't say I bought very much, but I think more there will be more to come on that. So I'm going to sort of put a pin in, in my uh, criticisms at this point. Um, I guess we found out that Romulans also have their own warring sides and secret, secret sort of martial societies. Um, I don't know what to make of that yet. I, I'd be interested to see. And I mean, this is really great because we get to see more of Romulan society and how it's put together. Um, the scene at the conference table, a la bunny corn pizza made from scratch. Of course, there is a scratch whole idea here that things made from scratch, their imperfection is so important in that respect. There's something imperfect about the group that Picard has brought together in every way, shape and form. He even brings it up uh, at some points where he's like, oh, they were carrying a lot more baggage and everything like that with uh, with Riker. I mean, he's talking to us there, everyone, if you didn't spot that, I'm, I'm figuring so at least. And I think the biggest piece here is Par uh, Picard gets to be himself. It's the formula. Uh, it's not replication that they make that makes things real. So this is my Picard maneuver in this point. And I want to see what everyone has had to say and say hello to um, some folks as they've popped in. Holy cow, we have been hit with comments. Oh, we've got... Uh, Jackie. Oh, hey, how's it going? I feel like I'm on Romper Room right now, if anyone knows that show. Uh, let's see what Becky has to say. Looking forward to discussing this episode with Barry and the Trek Geeks fans here tonight. I agree, Becky. Tony Tenable, it is great to see you. Jackie's here. Almost time. I guess she must have put that before we came on. We've got Ali Martinez all the way from Okinawa. Very cool. Uh, here to catch some Picard Live before I head off to work. That's great. We've got Debbie saying hi to everyone. Uh, love the classic Kirk Gold. Thank you very much. I... Uh, was telling everyone that the shoulder pads in this have kind of gone all funky. So yes, thank you for everyone saying Commodore. <laughs> We've got Helen. Thank you, Commodore. Debbie, Commodore. Uh, and actually, Dan Garcia also direct messaged me on here saying it's Commodore. So yes, live television, everyone. We've got Arend on here saying it looked a lot like the Red Angel vision after Control took over. You know, that's a good point. I almost wish they wouldn't go in that direction, but to maybe even use that as something of a connector to like, hey, remember that one time when artificial intelligence tried to annihilate all life? Maybe this is our second swing and we've struck out again. So could be a thing in that respect. Good point. Let's go down the line here and see what we've got. Looks like a lot of conversation between Arend uh, and uh, and everyone else. Goodness, I'm just going to go to Jackie. In the after show, I wondered if it, if a if it was a slip or he just didn't remember correctly. But Frakes said the Commodore was a Romulan. Ooh, I didn't watch that after show, so I am glad you brought that up, Jackie. That could say and do a lot. We uh, let's see here. Ah, Ali Martinez says, Nerissa is a formidable villain. I hate her, but it's because of the actions of her character, not because of poor acting. Great acting, truly presented in a character we we love to hate. Yes, she is very, very quickly becoming Kai Wynn of the story. Uh, well acted, and you just love to hate her. And actually, I'm really not liking her right now because she killed Hugh, and I'm not not uh, not a big fan of that. So I think we can uh, maybe go into some of our next pieces of the show. I'm very excited to open up with our uh, no pips, no problems segment where Picard's not a part of Starfleet anymore. So we're going to have to figure out how this is going to change his actions and attitudes. So let's discuss that in no pips, no problem. I'm excited to be bringing on uh, someone quite wonderful. Uh, we definitely correspond from time to time and always have kind words for one another. And I 
just love his and his daughter's show. If you haven't figured out who that is, it's Mike from Legacy Trek. So, Mike, it's wonderful to see you, good sir. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on, Barry. It's good to be here. Yeah, so... You ended up uh, watching this just with the rest of us. I know I kind of rattled off everything quickly there in the uh, Picard maneuver. Was there anything that would be Picard maneuver-ish or that you would want straightened out before we pop into no pips, no problem? Hmm. Straightened out, maybe not, but I definitely agree with uh, Ali that uh, Nerissa is becoming that, that type of villain that you hate to see, but you have quite a bit of respect for just because of the way that she's doing things. She's definitely committed. And I guess like that's one thing where um, you kind of need someone who's willing to pull the trigger because you don't get that obviously with Narek, right? He's, he's, Mm -hmm. he's got some turmoil. He's got some problems. He's conflicted with her. There is no conflict. She is ready and willing to move without hesitation. Like obviously if, if she was in control here, this would have been a very short season, I think. Yeah. Yeah. She, she would have been, uh, getting rid of people and taking names. We'll keep it family oriented here. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. So I think maybe the first thing, um, we can, we can talk about is, is the concept of, uh, fragments of a good person. Now we've talked a lot about Rafi and her getting or not getting her due in a lot of cases. And she's to me sort of become the O'Brien of Star Trek Picard in a lot of cases where she just seems to, by dint of her being her must suffer. And, you know, you really want to start seeing that vindication start to take place. And um, you brought up something interesting kind of in our, when we were sort of putting together what we were going to say tonight, I'll let you use the, uh, the quote here, but when, Agnes is being helped by, by Rafi. Um, what does you think that says about her, about Rafi herself? Well, we've seen how broken she is uh, leading up to this. Um, you know, we can see that even uh, in a drunken hungover state, she can still uh, cue herself up. Uh, but in this case, uh, she sees the turmoil that Agnes is going through and again, rises to the occasion. And we see her, making herself into that officer that she was when she worked with Picard, you know, what, it, what made her so entrusting uh, for Picard. There's a reason she's on this mission. It, it's not just because she has Intel. It's because Picard trusts her. And so we're seeing those elements really coming to the fore. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those elements, I think it's kind of like, I think they're latent within you. And when, when she calls herself, you know, the wreckage of a good person, I, uh, I find that interesting because, you know, I think Picard, like, like I said, in the title of this piece of, of the segment fragments of a good person, right. I, you know, the fragment motif keeps coming back, keeps coming back over and over and over again. Right. You know, we've got the artifact, we've got all the fragments coming together for the opening sequence. We've got a very fragmented crew and, and something of a, a fragmented uh, intention as well. And so I think you're right in saying that, that these sorts of things are, are her being able to rise to that occasion and, and show that, that even in sort of moments of, uh, of great crisis, a person can pull themselves together. Uh, and I think it underscores just how important we need places to be able to safely fall apart. And I think Rafi never was never given that when things came to the end. And I really do still think that her vindication is going to be the, the touchstone of the story. At least I, at least for me, I hope so. Yeah, it's looking that way. And, you know, I really think part of what her downfall was, and, you know, uh, when you read um, uh, the Picard book leading up to this, and you see the first few episodes, you start to realize that her life went in this direction, almost because she lost purpose. You know, she lost this thing that she had been doing. And so there was no purpose left. And it seems like now that purpose for helping her to rise up. Absolutely. And, and I think that's the thing is, is one can only stay down for so long and she's going to keep getting these opportunities to, like you said, you know, to, to, to pull herself back together and, and find that, um, find that an in, in, inner sense of purpose and inner sense of self that, yeah, I think she was kind of robbed of. And I see that in, in, 
in society, right? If, if we can't actualize who we are and what we are, we fall apart. And I'm going to be ladening you a little bit later in this segment with some more Hegelian dialectics. I don't know if you heard me natter on about actualization and synthesis, antithesis and, and thesis and all that sort of stuff from, from last week where um, basically Soji was bumping up against the contradiction of her own non-humanity and her dreams are helping her you know kind of fix that contradiction and basically Narek just helps her unravel the contradiction which is truly the Hegelian dialectic that everything will eventually find its point of unraveling I think in that respect and kind of maybe using Rafi as a foil she reverses that action she's unraveled but she's followed that unraveling so far that I think she's starting to come back together again mm. Yeah. Well, I'll let you do the educated side and I'll I'll stick with the layman side. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I am going to hit you with a bit more in a little bit. Allie's got uh, something here. I thought I would uh, bring her in again. Uh, I do think it's worth mentioning that Narek does develop feelings for Soji. He still goes through with trying to kill her, but you can tell he clearly doesn't do it easily. I was very much hoping that when the time came to follow through, he would choose a different path. Guess not. I guess that's the thing is, is everyone seems to be choosing paths and trying to find their way. And I think again, kind of moving back to some previous dialogue when Chris, um, uh, Rios says no one gets it right all the time Raf. I think that's a really good a good sort of again foil to everything right there's a lot of people getting it wrong and I think Rafi is slowly trying to get it right and and she, she's got a really good track there yeah including Picard I've seen and that's yeah. that's not right in some ways you know he, he's got the right intentions but the way he's carrying it out isn't quite going in the right direction. No. And actually I think this is the first time we see him a not get chewed out and B like do something that, that has a full effect. And, and again, we're going to get to that in a second. And I think the best way to do that is to get into the next piece of uh, no pips, no problem. And that's the necessity of innocence and vulnerability. And this is parenthood. And actually it's, one of the reasons why I'm, I was glad that that uh, you agreed to come on here, being that you yourself are a parent, and I think that's really great. You see such vulnerability in this picture between uh, Picard, Deanna, and Will. Um, there's a there's a there's an obvious genuineness to it, and I mean, it is the fact that most people who are Trek fans know how much that these people are actually friends with each other, and that's that's really important. Um, I do want to say though that that kind of vulnerability is is something that you don't typically get in these moments where they've kind of got to dig themselves out. Usually they steal themselves in a much more physical way. I'm thinking in terms of like Lord of the Rings and and whatnot. Um, True vulnerability kind of comes in these moments in between. And this whole episode is sort of showing it in a very kind of open source sort of sense. It gives you no, you can't look anywhere else, but at how much these people need each other. What were some of your takes on the idea of, you know, Hugh and Elnor showing their vulnerability to each other, Soji and Kestra showing theirs. And then we've got the triad of Picard, Deanna, will anything kind of come to mind there for you well you can see after uh what happens at the beginning with hugh he's clearly uh emotional Uh, these xbs have become like his children um you know obviously uh it's not a literal parent-child relationship it's more that uh, um unintentional one where it's the, um, I'm losing my words here. That's it's, all right. It's, it's Welcome to live, live television. I was just going to say it's the live television thing. Uh, you know, he's been a mentor to these XBs. And so to see them cut down like that uh, really cuts to the quick for him. And at this, uh, you see Elnor, who has been a child, uh, portrayed as a child in many ways through this. He's now uh, standing upright as the one that's giving the support that's necessary for Q, uh, telling him, come on, we're going to get through this. We'll take things on. Um, and literally stepping in front of him at times to give him the protection the way a parent would. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that um, 
you know, there's something in, in your notes that I want to kind of tick into a little bit. And Riker's been through this before. He's been through a point when he's had to kind of break free of, of needing a parent and having to be the parent himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, bringing up, you know, one of my favorite scenes with uh, Jonathan Frakes, one of his best acting moments, I think, is when he's looking at the empty chair of Picard's in the ready room and he shouts, what would you do? And that was just for me like, a, oh, my gosh, yeah, mm-hmm. like he's he's a kid lost at the grocery store. Like it's, this is it, right? He's, he's the university student first day <laughs> freshman year, you know, or, you know, he's the, he's the soldier off to war on the boat crossing the Atlantic, not sure mm-hmm. what's going to happen next. Right. Like it's that, you know, do or die kind of, kind of time for a lot of people in this episode. And you would, you would almost be remiss to, to think that way because of the calm sort of atmosphere of Nepenthe itself. It's such a lovely, very idyllic kind of, you know, sort of mid Midwestern ish kind of area. It's very, very pretty. I think it was uh, filmed on like a universal backlot or something like that in California. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Uh, the great outdoors. (laughs) Was that where they filmed the great outdoors as well? Yeah, that uh, that cabin was from the great outdoors. I knew I recognized it. I knew I recognized it. That's amazing. So So it's a good thing they had pizza and not hot dogs. No. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I forgot about that movie. (laughs) So um, before we go on to the uh, or actually, yeah, I'm going to get to the tomatoes later. I got to I'm going to go long and hard on the on the tomatoes here. So let's just quickly jump to uh, so getting help. Right. Soji and Picard get to see a psychologist. And I'm just going to say, if you, you know, need need help, if if there's something up, you know, I'm I'm seeing a psychologist this Wednesday, um, to be perfectly honest, because uh, I lost my brother in, in January and it's been really, really tough. And when you're in these really, really tough times, you know, if you're physically injured, getting a broken leg or say you've got like, you know, something wrong with your stomach, you're going to go to the doctor. Um, it's the same idea with getting, getting mental help as well. And this I think is a really good signal. And I think it's exactly what Picard needed to do. He took the right medicine showing up and seeing the Rikers by coming there. He gets to see one of his dearest and most trusted friends and he gets to see Will. It's great. Um, a good little joke there, but no, he gets, he gets to talk to an actual counselor and that's so very, very important. Um, yeah. I'm just wondering what your takes there on that, uh, that Mike. Well, first of all, this is by far the best writing of Deanna Troy throughout Star Trek. Um, if you ask me, she's the star of this episode, um, with Kestra coming in a close second. Um, but really she, Soji right away, um, knowing knowing that she's an android, but still treating her like a human in the way she evaluates her and the way she's feeling and uh, not going overboard, not pushing her, but kind of almost reeling her in, so to speak. And then, like you said, uh, Picard needed this too. Uh, he really needed to... Uh, be given the business, so to speak. Uh, like she said, maybe this isn't the place for the counselor to say this, but you deserve that. You deserve to get pushed away by her. And it goes back to uh, a couple episodes ago, how he uh, was applauding Rafi for coming onto the bridge and uh, doing these things for him. And then she collapses there. You know, he's he's looking just for the outcome and not for uh, the quality of life for mm. these people that he's working with. And so she cuts him off right away and says, look, you need to go back to being the Jean-Luc Picard that you know you are. Uh, here are the things that made you a great person. Follow that script. Yeah. And sometimes that that's that's the greatest ad- advice a person can can give and be given is follow your heart and be yourself because honestly if you don't you're you're going to you're going to not only fail the the whatever task you've set out you're ultimately going to fail yourself and i think yeah to some degree Picard has been kind of failing forward in a lot of ways and this was his good sort of whap up the side of the head so 
I'm going to get into uh, just kind of talking a little bit about tomatoes and juxtaposition and everything here. I do teach English language arts as well. So unfortunately, you all have to have to deal with that to some degree. So last week, like I had said, I, I talked a lot about actualization, the idea that there's a thesis, uh, an antithesis, and then a synthesis. Really, by seeking that, all you do is sort of uncover the contradiction more and more. And we can kind of get stuck looking for either contradictions or trying to ignore them. And this is such a neat moment when Soji has these real tomatoes, right? She emerges from the darkness and she finds her true self through tomatoes. And I think that's really great. So the juxtaposition is, is now Soji is unreal, right? Uh, she's not real. She's not a real human being. She's none of those sorts of things, but she gets called an Android and it shakes her. It gets her completely outside of it. And then just the charm and acceptance that, that, uh, that Kestra gives her, you know, well, you're three years old. So that makes me the boss of you is, is just wonderful. And it, it gets her to understand that the way you beat or break free of contradiction is actually by embracing it. Uh, and I will go on here a tad, um, but uh, you know, rupture from a continuity often makes us extremely unsettled, right? If you break your schedule, if you lose your job, if you lose a loved one, these things take you away from what's normal. And Soji has been hit from every single conceivable side i mean if she wasn't an android i'm sure as a real human being she'd just be curled up in the fetal position like i i do sort of think that she may be superhuman in more ways than just physically but she starts to kind of be able to embrace that contradiction by seeing her abilities and seeing her identity through the innocent eyes of a child and i think sometimes by embracing that innocence and and seeing the contradiction for what it truly is it's not a contradiction that soji isn't a person it's it, that's the old contradiction it's it's that doesn't need to be worried about it's been laid bare so now instead what what soji can do is embrace the reality of what she truly is so now she knows she's an android tasting a real tomato not a replicated one and for that the realness of it is what's good and that's what they say about it and i just love that whole concept that whole little scene in the garden and mike you're right i think deanna is sort of like the wise sage of all of this she's sort of the um you know, there's there's a bit of a Stevie Nicks vibe I get from her where she's got sort of maybe a supernatural-ish kind of power. And she is able to cut that contradiction like a ripe tomato. And later, real tomatoes get burnt. And we all have to realize that we're all real tomatoes, even if we're made of synth parts. Um, sometimes what, what it means to be human is to know when you've been burnt. And uh, what are you going to do about it? So that, that's, 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 that's my jabber. Yeah. <laughs> deep thoughts. Yeah. Um, and, and going back to the true self, um, you know, Soji answers, the, um, answers within herself, not just who she is, but where does she go from here? Uh, like she said to Deanna, she's been, she's been fooled this whole time, fooled into who she is. And then when she's on the Borg cube, she's being fooled by Narek the whole time. So she doesn't know what reality is. And here she has someone like Kestra who is not necessarily latching on to her, but is almost like Elnor was with Hugh, kind of helping prop her up. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was a nice gesture at the end where she gave her the compass. You know, even though it was broken, uh, it was something to help her guide her way. Uh, to see where she was going, but also the advice that she gave her too, uh, when they were in the bedroom before the end, uh, telling her, look, I have been through difficult things, difficult times. And the only thing that helped me was my parents. I know you don't have that, but you have Picard or you could have Picard and he obviously needs somebody too. So you guys could have each other, but you have to want it. You need to put yourself on the line and really want to be there for each other. Yeah. And then again, that, that harkens back to that vulnerability that's required. And, you know, Soji herself, even Dodge too, I think. So they're, they're programming, right? That that's the fact they have to have been the result of programming. What programmer puts this type of uh, latent vulnerability into them, right? They had to be programmed that way. I'd say much like Ash in the movie alien is programmed to be sort of a misogynistic 
authoritarian piece of crap. Um, he had to be programmed that way. Someone had to make him. And uh, the same idea with Soji and Dodge. So I think to some degree, we have to understand that inside all of us is the programming to be good, is the programming mm -hmm. to be vulnerable to one another. And again, through by showing us, you know, kind of a very convincing Pinocchio. And I think the reason why Dodge uh, and Soji are so interesting is the fact that they're perfectly imperfect, much like every yeah they're they're not the uncanny valley of of more human than human like say data or lore or those other synths were it, it, they are they are fully understood in the sense that they don't fully make sense and i think that's sort of the the funny bit right where we can look at all of these parts uh, of say like cookies or pizza or any of those sorts of things that they continuously are baking into making and then consuming they're not necessarily um there, there, there's that kind of X that makes them what they are. And, you know, that's the, the character of the person cooking it. It's the, it's the character of the fire. It's what kind of, you know, methods are being used to bake and, and, and sort of prepare the meal. So those are all really good, good thoughts you've come up with. I, and I hope mine have been useful to everyone as well. I want to maybe jump through a couple of comments here before we move on to our next, uh, before we get onto the fan sets uh, um, chitter chatter, because I would like to talk a little bit more because you were showing off a pin I haven't seen. So uh, that will be interesting in a little bit. So first things first, I'm just going to start where I can get to. Um, Christina Estes Werther, nice to see you. She says, counselors are so valuable in life and in Star Trek. Marina was amazing. I uh, have zero argument with that, and that is an extremely well-put statement. We have Jackie. Children are so matter-of-fact, and that gift was rather clear in how Kestra spoke. As a teacher, kids are the greatest educators. Like I, I learn from them as much, if not more, from them every single day, and I would, I would probably say being a parent you you're wow that's a new thing oh okay yep that's new <laughs> happens quite a bit and not only that she'll point stuff out in the shows that i haven't even noticed so right sometimes you need those fresh eyes you need those young eyes to see things in ways that you know perhaps our, our jaded cynical selves just don't notice anymore because we're just so used to the rat race and the rush of it all um mm -hmm. there is something tr truthfully saying that you know if you're young at heart pretty much anything can can be done um, Jackie also says, be yourself, unless you're a Romulan, then be like Elnor. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, the, the Jat Vash and the Tal Shiar are not cool. And the Quatmulat are loads of fun and sound like really, really great. If you ever need to screw in a light bulb, that's really high up. Um, let's see here. Oh, we've got Chris. Chris Hackney comes on saying what made Troy so strong in those episodes was the fact, or in this episode, sorry, is the fact that she did not have to be deferential to Picard. She could just tell him what he needed to be told. Absolutely. I think there's always been sort of a candid nature, a candor, maybe an absolute candor that gets developed between Picard um, and uh, Troy and Riker throughout their lives. And you really mm -hmm. just see it actualized here quite a bit. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go one last one here for Becky 20 Tenable. Okay, Soji may not be a real human, but I think she is human because of her actions. She has achieved what Data couldn't. Being human is a state of mind to me. I have been thinking about that, and we're going to touch on that a little later, I think, in the supplemental, because I do want to ask, like, what to what extent does sentience have to be proven and imperfection have to be proven for us to say, okay, this is a human being? Hmm. All right. Well, I think this is a really good time to talk about some pretty awesome pins. What do you say, Mike? Absolutely. <laughs> we were on we were on mute there, I think, for a second. So before we continue to our next segments, let's talk a little bit of, about our wonderful Trek family at Fansets. They are also our sponsors, and we love them for it. There are many ways to express your fandom, fandom, but if you are looking for artistry, care and attention to detail, and a friendly down-to-earth earth customer service, you will not find anyone better than Fansets. They always have new pins coming up. Of course, we have not seen enough of number one. So there we have up on the title card, number one wearing his Christmas hat and number one just looking happy and doing, doing his thing. And I really look forward to seeing him sooner than later. That would be great. Um, but yes, if you are uh, also 
interested in jumping on to their website and looking for a few pins yourself, there are some coming down the way pretty soon. Soji, Dr. Jurati, Rafi, Picard, Rios. And we also just found out from Fansets they're going to be doing Picard episode pins as well. So more info on that once I hear from it because I am excited very much about that. And it's not just Star Trek. Fanset spans genres from Alien to DC. And so as an offer, as a listener to Star Trek Picard Live, um, Fansets is offering a 15% discount to any order while Picard Season 1 is on. So that time is starting to run out. We only have uh, 8, 9, and 10 left. So that's going to be a pretty hot second before this specific discount code goes bye-bye. So just enter Picard Live, that is P-I-C-A-R-D-L-I-V-E, all caps, no spaces, at checkout and get 15% off your next order. Fansets, our pins have character. And we thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Network. So, Mike, you had a, a pin there that I wanted to see. What was the one that you had? That was a cool one. So this is the episode pin from The Sound of Thunder. Oh, so cool. So you got it's pro- Yeah, it's probably one of the nicer ones from season two mm-hmm. uh, that's come out. Um I, I, at least show wise. I mean, I love them all. Um, I've got everything that uh, has come out so far. Uh, the rest of them are sitting in the drawer where I'm sitting. Um, with that up direct deposit, or they're going to have to set up some kind of credit card for me <laughs> uh, so that we can just, uh, just get this done. Uh, so I- I'm definitely on board with fan sets. These guys are great. I mean, I was a huge pin collector before them. Uh, so once I saw that they were doing these, uh, I-, I couldn't resist. I wasn't a pin collector before fan sets and now I am. So that says pretty much, pretty much how it goes in that respect. Mm. Well, I think it's time we get into looking on how much series we have left because it's getting less and less and answers are starting to, uh, I think kind of wait in the wings a little bit, but uh, frankly, I just think it's time to uh, look at what we're going to have in the stargazer. So this is where we look a little bit before and a little bit ahead to see what might lie in store for Jean-Luc. Maybe sometimes the answers are going to lie in his past. So I think the first thing that I just want to say right off the bat is this isn't going to end well for Jurati. And at least I hope she can take O with her. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, it's uh based on uh, your synopsis of the episode it is kind of looking that way um but one of the things i was looking at too as i did the same sequences uh it looks like this ceremony that she was looking at was somewhere in the past so could she be holding the katra of someone from the past that was actually at that ceremony a la Archer and Surak in uh, the Forge trilogy, because, you know, I know Vulcans and Romulans have uh, different lifespans and humans, but still it seems like that's an awful lot longer in the past than what that lifespan would be. So, you know, is she an outside observer as part of this mind meld or was she actually there for that ceremony? Yeah, there's a lot of questions that this brings up and and the fact that some of this could be in some case maybe affecting affecting Jurati not in a experiential way coming from O but actually in a much more like she's made something up or she's sort of hypotheticalizing a, a mind melt. That's why I called it a mind melt because it really, really messes poor Gerardi up to the point that she's literally willing to kill what we can consider her love interest. I'm also thinking that Catras, however they manifest in Romulans must show up in some way, shape or form. And so perhaps maybe even there's a synth Catra that could show up because of all of this, you know, we've already talked about what does it mean to be a human being and what does it mean to live on in others? I think data has done a pretty fair, fair job of, of living beyond his mortality, I guess we could say in that respect, but yeah, I'm really not thinking this is going to end well for Gerardi. And that does make me a little bit sad, but at the same time, uh, I don't know. She's a, it's a sad loss of innocence, right? She seemed kind of wide eyed and happy. And then this happens. So that's un- un- unsettling yeah, to say the ago. least. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, up until a couple weeks ago, I mean, she was one of my favorite characters. And now not as much, uh, you know, with the things that she's done. Yeah. So. And, and I mean, 
they got a little heavy there because I, I don't know if she was necessarily trying to kill herself or just put herself in a coma. But I would say if you're going to use a neurotoxin, that's usually lights out. Like if she really wanted to just go into a coma, like, you know, 500 cc's of, you know, Thorazine would would have done the would have done the, the trick, I guess. But uh, yeah, neurotoxin. I'm. She's just making bad choice after bad choice, but mm-hmm. I think it's because she just feels, you know, in this case, kind of kind of cornered. The uh, speaking of coming to her aid, though, when she's sick, convenient hologram is convenient, wouldn't you say? I, I'm not terribly sure what to what to make of yeah of of this this hologram, the the hospitality hologram, and all of Rios's identical twin holograms. You know, some to varying levels of scruff uh, going on, but. Um, there's just something about this whole setup and on this whole ship and, 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 you know, I don't know. I just feel like there's going to be something up with Rios that makes him not real or why he has made all of these holograms to look like him. It's just never been spoken about. Also, his consistency isn't quite there. Uh, when he starts thinking that it's Rafi, I'm I'm sort of like really like that would be your first choice. I just I wasn't necessarily buying why he chose her off the bat. And at first I thought, well, maybe it was like a ploy, but it ends up that no, that's not actually the case because it looks like he's about to confront Rafi before uh, things change. What would you say about that? Yeah, um, and she's got that look on her face, like so. What you're going to throw me out an airlock? And then you, you hear that pause. She's like, wait what's going on um yeah it's kind of weird that he would that he would feel that way um especially when in the moments before that adrati is just about giving herself up falling on her sword letting him know what's going on um and yet here it's almost as if because of the relationship they had a week before he's looking past that and he knows that rafi is a troubled soul so maybe it's her that's been wrapped up in this, that innocence versus not so innocent. Yeah, no, I, that that's a good point. And, and I think we're going to get more um, Nerissa and, and Rios, I think are going to get a lot more said about them coming right up the right off the bat. I think, and at least that's what I'm hoping for. Um, I want to just look at a couple of the uh, comments here before we get into the last bit of the stargazer, just to make sure I don't lose any as we're kind of moving down. Um, so Becky 20 Tenable says, I think Commodore O may have lived long enough to see the classified AI stuff from, from Starfleet. That's a hundred percent possible. If she's mm-hmm. a Vulcan, she could have lived that long. That's definitely a good point. Uh, Jackie Hackney says, but would that have killed the tracker? Um, I'm thinking probably vomiting or something along those lines. Um, <laughs> or maybe the neurotoxin. There's a lot of reasons. Yeah. Yep. She was kind of frothing up pretty gross. Becky mm-hmm. 20 Tenable also says that she loves the, uh, loves the holograms. I do too. I think they're great, especially the, I think he speaks kind of with a Cuban dialect, the, uh, tactical officer where he's just like, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> just sort of mumbling out mm-hmm. kind of bits and kind of swallowing his consonants. Um, I'm trying to learn Spanish right now. And I have a friend from Cuba who, I, I can't understand as well because they speak very, very fast. It's beautiful, beautifully spoken. It's just, I have to be like, whoa, whoa. Oh, hold on. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. that's the thing. Rapid Let's see fire. here. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like Debbie's saying that maybe she was trying to neutralize the tracker. That's definitely possible. Maybe mm-hmm. she knew, knows something that we don't. Aaron Harvey, um, I feel like uh, he has the hologram. Uh, he has the holograms that have been set to his preference, which is mostly never show up unless I ask. Yeah, no, that is that is a, a possibility as well. It's just I figured that they would have the the presence of mind to to know, you know, in that respect, you know, like wouldn't the ship be like, oh, that person is now making a a um, a thing to kill themselves because that's the only reason. Like I feel like the AI was smarter on the Enterprise than it is on La Serena, but maybe I'm wrong. And uh, not terribly sure. Yeah. Let's see here. All right. I think we can move into our next bit, which is the supplementals. Oh no. I've got one more piece here. Riker. Riker. He's on active reserve for this series. 
So mm -hmm. he says something really, really important where he's sitting down and he's like, oh, I'm on active reserve, you know, and that makes me think that there is still a very, very small possibility. Who knows? Come on, Titan. I'm holding up a Titan for everyone. <laughs> the USS Titan for anyone who's just listening. I'm waving it around. It's my Eagle Moss uh, Titan that actually I got Freaks to, to sign for me, which he kind of was like, I'll sign anything you want, whatever, which was yeah. very Freaks. I'm like, will you sign this? He's like, you paid for it. You sign your face if you want. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> so yeah. Do you think he's coming back? Do you think that's a, a, a statement by, uh, by John Freaks there? I think it would be cool. Um, you know, me, I, I don't know that we would see a Titan series at this point with, the, with everyone being in the, their older age. Mm -hmm. um, it's definitely the animated stuff uh, where they could do voices. Um, mm -hmm. uh, that and the fact that he's still on active reserve, uh, it makes me think of a point that I didn't bring up earlier in the show about parenthood and how, you know, he talked about sacrificing his relationship with Deanna to become a captain. Mm -hmm. And then when they had this, uh, this uh, uh, disease with dad, he sacrificed his captaincy to take care of his children. And yeah. so even now he, it seems like he's gotten into this good place. He has a nice family life and he said it would take something huge to get him to come out of it. But Hey, you never know what's going to happen with the series. So mm -hmm. maybe something huge could pull him out. And that's a really good point that, that he does choose family over career when, when the time comes. And that is a really good point that I'd never even thought about. And that, yeah, he's, he is being, being what he needs to be for the family that he has mm -hmm. and the family that he has left. And yeah, um, losing siblings sucks. And it is so important to have friends and family around you and with you there to sort of help and, and pick up the pieces of, of you and, and everything like that. So family really did fall so nicely into this whole story. And, and I'm so happy that, um, that they did treat family in that respect. So let's get on. I think here's where we're going to talk a little bit about uh, extra stuff that just didn't necessarily fit into the episode. Uh, maybe there's some online chatter uh, worth mentioning that we've seen from time to time that uh, any people, any commenters want to bring in perhaps some relevant Star Trek news as well in the segment that we call supplementals. So I am excited to be talking a bit about all of those little extra bits here. First things first, and this one's kind of off the hob is this was a 10 minute before the credits teaser that just jammed like an episode worth of stuff into it. I, I just have to say as much as I do love this series quite a bit, I'm enjoying it. It's so incredibly busy. Like, if you have to go to the bathroom, it's really good that if you're streaming it, you can hit pause because if I'm watching, you know, kind of an everyday episode of Star Trek, the next generation, you know, aside from the fact that I've seen most of them several times over, I can usually get up and like talk to someone for a minute or like, you know, get a glass of water. But in this, like if you walk away, you're not going to get catch anything. So I guess like rewatchability is almost a necessity because there's so much you can miss because they're just so jam packed. Have you found that jarring or are you enjoying the pace? I normally do my first watch at four in the morning uh, when I get up for work. So I, I, I'm kind of glued to it. Yeah. It, you can't, you can't get up and walk away for even 30 seconds. No. Um, we've had that happen a few times when we're watching it as a family. It's like, you gotta, you gotta pause, go do what you gotta do and come back. Cause otherwise you could miss the smallest thing that could mean something big down the road. Absolutely. I think Jackie kind of underscores that it took me some time to unpack this episode after it wrapped up. Mm -hmm. So yeah, miss a blink and blink and you miss it. And it's, uh, it's very important that, uh, you pay very close attention. So as sort of like a supplemental bit, you know, it's not necessarily a, a, a bad criticism, but as a, like a construction, crit a constructive criticism, if we can manage it, and I know Patrick Stewart might be on a slightly different schedule and stuff and everyone kind of getting everyone together might be tough, but uh, more than 10 episodes would be totally okay with me. If they want to sort of stretch mm. that storyline out a touch, I, I would be totally happy with that and wouldn't have any problems. Something no, interesting, <laughs> some, something interesting that I also 
uh, really like kind of here is is this sort of dichotomy between data versus soji i don't i'm not convinced for a second that it's necessarily data nice head tilt um <laughs> it's not necessarily data that's within soji's you know uh, positronic dna but at the same time there is some characteristically data elements to her that i really like and it is it is sort of charming seeing seeing her being so full of personality, realizing that she is something that iconically would not have this type of personality, or at least have the ability to turn it on and shut it off and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know, this whole concept of, you know, we've said, you know, more human than human, all these things, the imperfections that make Soji the the android with with a soul, I guess, in that sort of sense. She's the tin man with a real heart. Um I don't know if you've enjoyed kind of seeing that. Is this is this sort of a, a, a were you expecting anything like this to, to come up with with this character? Well, when we were watching the trailers for Picard, uh, Emily called right away. That's Data's daughter. I was like, nah, you're that can't be it. And sure enough, I watched the first episode. And I was like, the kid was right. You got to be kidding me. Um, but then I, you know, I look at this episode now and she asked the question to Kestra, you know, how could you be so sure that I come from him? And when she explains it all out, look, this was, he wanted to be human. He strove yeah. to be human. And what, you know, you're an Android, but you have every characteristic of a human. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest piece of it is with those children's eyes, she can see the truth immediately, much like your kiddo did at the at the preview is mm -hmm. she was able to go, oh, wait, no, this is that's exactly what's happening. And I, I do have to say that Kestra was acted very, very well and was written very, very well and served an extremely good purpose. She she built a very strong bridge for Soji to cross. And I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting it to be laid out so easily and so readily, but she has definitely given Soji the ingredients for what it's going to take to get through this. Um, let's see here. Aaron Harvey says, nice to hear that Michael Chaplin asked Larry Niven if he could use the Kinziti, uh, the last scene in TAS. And he said, yes, <laughs> yes. There are some lovely callbacks. Easy Mzadi um, was also a very good one from uh, Will Riker. Um, I can't uh, believe that Aaron Harvey brought up something about TAS. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's that's what we pay him for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Jackie Hackney says I'm down with 40 episodes a season. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I mean that would probably turn the set of Star Trek into a bit of a slave labor camp, but hey, I'd help. It'd be great. It'd be so much fun. <laughs> Debbie says I watch every episode twice at least. I feel I feel I miss nuances the first time around. It's definitely a lot more work watching these mm. episodes comparatively, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's it, it, that is a change to Star Trek, right? I mean, when you got to the end of Deep Space 9 and some of those lovely nail biters in uh, in and enterprise definitely there were times that leaving you left the screen at your own peril but i do have to say this is kind of busy in some cases but you know i don't think it's that bad well we just got a ton of comments just popped in i was going to look at one and i lost it ah the head tilt was so reminiscent of timothy in hero worship by uh, from debbie 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 that is I didn't even think about hero worship. Why didn't I think of here? This is yeah, why perfect. I, I come on this show and I bring guests to come on this show. And then like, and then the people commenting say better things than I could have planned for in a week. So you guys, yeah, that's a really good point. There's also here, Becky uh, 20 Tenable says some scenes between Soji and Kestra remind me of scenes between data and the child and insurrection as well. Again, I didn't notice that. Are you? Do you have any like backups hiding behind your behind behind your screen there, Mike? I, I'm not pulling any of these up. I'm really happy that these people are here. Nope. <laughs> and yeah, this is great. Debbie also says that Kestra was Soji's first real friend. Yeah. No, it mm. uh, it's definitely a thing in that respect. So the last little bit here is talking a bit about the formula, and. As we see Picard around the table with people who he trusts and people who he knows, he finally gets to be himself. And Mike, as you said, Deanna basically kicks him in the rear and says, be yourself, because that's how you're going to get through this is by being you. And then you see Picard using proper analogies. He's not just pontificating. He's being vulnerable as well, using absolute candor, uh, candor, sorry, to 
to bring Soji around to trusting. And I don't think she's 100% there. And I think that's the best part about Soji is she's so complicated. She's not completely convinced still, even though I think she, the ingredients to be convinced are there. But I do have to say that it really does come down to who we surround ourselves with. And that's who's going to make us who we are. And look at who, when the chips are down, Picard surrounds himself with. People he loves, people he trusts, people who he can be vulnerable in front of. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important to piece there i don't know if you saw that uh in those scenes as well yeah i definitely did um especially that table part uh like you said it was well and it was like they said you know imagine this is your ready room yeah so everyone's sitting down and it put him in that comfortable position brought him back it grounded him it Mm -hmm. it grounded him as a person and so now uh, like he said, there's not a chance in hell that you're going to stop me with this mission. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. I, I'm, I now have that focus, um, that determination that, that, uh, want to be needed. And so he can push forward. Absolutely. Wyatt Stockdale says something nice here. Uh, he says, uh, this was the first successful use of kids in Star Trek. <laughs> Bill would be happy. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a good fact. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. putting kids in, in sci-fi can be very, very difficult. I think they did all right in Disaster back in the day. I was um, just thinking that. Yeah, I think those kids acted fine and dandy. Very, very well done. Well, one last little supplemental that uh, you brought up, actually, mm-hmm. is a bit of Star Trek news. And it's... Uh, Bittersweet, maybe, I guess is the best way of putting it. Uh, Mr. Ken Mitchell, Team Cole for Life, uh, has been diagnosed with uh, ALS. For those of you who don't know, uh, it's a motor neurone disease that basically very slowly shuts down um, elements of your ability to walk, to to talk. um, And then eventually it it, it sort of, you kind of waste away, but your mind basically pardon me, remains intact. Um, Professor Stephen Hawking had that disease and was able to live uh, a very long, considerably longer life than expected due to the fact that he was able to use small nuances um, in his body abilities still to uh, operate a computer and be able to have a certain level of autonomy and independence. Another um, uh, notable person with ALS that I'm aware of is a fellow by the name of Alistair the Optimist. He did a, uh, a music, uh, sort of a, an album talk, kind of running through it. And uh, there are two really, really good songs on there. Um, and I, there's one called The, the Wake and um, No One. And, and they're sad, but I guess choosing to live, right? <laughs> I, I yeah, think maybe is sort yeah. of it. And I think... Elnor keeps saying it, and uh, Mr. Ken Mitchell has sort of walked that talk. He's a quat milad in that respect, in the sense mm-hmm. that uh, he is choosing to live. And I think that uh, the fine people who went with him on that cruise were were quite lovely in in being so kind and um, being so gentle and generous, and and showing him what family really looks like. So it was a place where he could be vulnerable and be himself. And Uh, We see that woven within our fandom, which is just a beautiful thing. I'm going to shut up now and then you talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he, uh, it it was, like you said, it was kind of bittersweet uh, seeing him come out with that news this week. Um, But then seeing everyone rally around him right away. And then, like you said, all the pictures from the cruise, everyone doing the same thing there. You know, now he sees it's not just the online presence, but it's actual in-person presence where everyone is is working together to to be there for him. And actually, uh, tonight, just before we got on, I saw that there's a movement going on on Twitter to do kind of a ice bucket challenge, but more uh, geared toward Klingon, a uh, a Gach challenge uh, where you take some pasta and you put it over your head. Um <laughs> So if you guys check out Heather Kirby on Twitter, um, she's got the, she's got a video uh, starting the whole thing. I think it's going to be really cool for all of us who are on Twitter and this Trek community to really uh, put our best foot forward in supporting him. That uh, that will happen beyond the shadow of a doubt uh, on my end. I just have to, uh, yeah, we're going to coordinate that uh, with a couple of folks. Shashank, I'm looking at you that, uh, yeah, some kind of Klingon, Klingon Gach Bucket <laughs> Challenge. I am down for that. And again, just mad props to the people who who went on that uh, that little journey in the uh, in the Caribbean there, with uh, 
with Ken Mitchell. I think uh, you, you folks, I hope you had a memorable time and I'm pretty sure he did too. And so if you're listening or if anyone who uh, was on the cruise is listening, uh, just bad props to everyone. That was uh, really heartwarming to see. And, uh, and it just, yeah, I don't really have much else to say other than it's sad, mm-hmm. but uh, rest assured we, uh, we take care of our own here in the Trek fam for sure. Absolutely. Well, I think that's where we can call her a week here uh, until next week, that is. So uh, if you uh, are not able to tune in day of or anything along those lines, you're always able to check out our episode the day after um, when we uh, put it up on the podcast particulars, uh, all the different media that you like. So next week, we are going to be considering Star Trek Picard broken pieces which of course kind of fits into that whole broken pieces thing that we've been talking about when the devastating truths behind the mars attacks are revealed picard realizes just how far many will go to preserve secrets stretching back generations all while la serna crew grapples with secrets and revelations of their own narissa directs her guards to capture elnor setting off an unexpected chain of events in the borg cube that sounds pretty fascinating what do you think mike I'm looking forward to this. Uh, uh, I mean, every episode has been appointment viewing for me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't wait to see how all of this plays out. I mean, we've only got three episodes left, so really looking forward to see how the season ends. Definitely. Well, in the meantime, if you're needing more of a Star Trek fix, you can always check out other podcasts on the Trek Geeks Network found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or even TrekGeeks.com. The latest Polytrex is following in suit with uh, the uh, different episodes of Picard as they're coming out. Of course, Shashank uh, and Ali and a number of other fantastic guests that guests have been popping on the show. So do make sure you check out my brother in Trek Shashank while he takes the helm on Paula Treks. And of course, we always have our shout out to the wonderful gentlemen at Five Year Mission who make all the pretty, pretty sounds that you hear that happen all from there. So from the Trek Geeks Network to you, Mr. Mike Bovia, thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate you uh, giving your two cents uh, to the whole thing. And we uh, hope, uh, where can people find you? Sorry, that's the question I'm going to ask next. Where can people find you on the interwebs and on the podcast webs? Well, find me. Yeah, yeah. if they want to find me, uh, they can go to uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm always on at Trek Legacy. And uh, Emily and my podcast is Legacy Trek. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, I think Stitcher. I, I don't remember them all. all we, put it, we put in for a bunch of them. So uh, if you don't see us on one, check us out on the other. Nice. That is great. Well, that I believe is where we will call it. So uh, if you don't get to... If you don't get to see us live every week, fret not. You can always download us uh, in, on our audio-only version of the podcast the next day. Just search for Trek Geeks Picard live on your favorite podcast plat- platform. So that is all I have to say for everybody. Thank you so very, very much for watching and uh, live long and prosper.